Well, I know some of you may not believe this, but uh, I was a hairstyle trendsetter, <laughs> at least once in my life. You see, it all started in the fifth grade when I was the product of a fairly standard 1950-ish family, uh, and I would uh, slick my hair back in a poof with some Brill cream because I knew that a little dab will do you, and the girls love to put their fingers through your hair. Some are old enough to remember that. Um, but my whole world changed, and much of the rest of the world changed, on February the 9th, 1964, when a group called The Beatles debuted on The Ed Sullivan Show, uh, singing such moving lyrics as, She loves you, yeah, 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 and the philosophically profound... Well, shake it a baby, twist and shout. But, you know, I really wasn't listening to the lyrics because as I gazed in astonishment at my black and white TV screen, what I saw, what caught my attention, were thousands of young girls screaming, crying, idolizing these four guys with mops on their head. And that's all it took for me to return for my sixth grade year, much to the chagrin of my teacher and principal, with a beetle cut. Yes, I was the first at Hale Cook Elementary School to have long hair all the way down to my eyebrows. Well, the Beatles enjoyed a prolonged success, I think, largely because they were innovative with different genre of music. And they sometimes strayed from their original uh, repertoire. And later, Paul McCartney wrote an upbeat yet different song, sad song, to the accompaniment of violin and cello. And it was about two people. One was Eleanor Rigby, who picked up the rice in the church where the wedding had been, lives in a dream. The other was Father Mackenzie, writing a sermon to, that no one will hear, no one comes near. And then the remainder of the song is this. Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father McKenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? And for that, these four young people made millions. Even more astonishing than that is that some critics called this little work the greatest song ever written. Now, I don't think I can buy that, but you've got to admit 
that McCartney struck a nerve. Our text for today is Psalm 68.6. God makes a home for the lonely. There are at least a couple of general categories of loneliness, loneliness which can be experienced. Both impact us or can impact us greatly, but the difference between the consequences of the two is about as far as the east is from the west. The first I would characterize as common loneliness, the kind that we all experience at one time or another. Uh, It can run the gamut from temporary and insignificant to lifelong, perhaps even life-defining. Everybody wants to have a purpose to his or her life. We want to have meaning relationships, and hopefully we want to be remembered fondly when we're gone. We've all got to face that daunting question, will my life make a difference to anybody or anything? In my practice as an attorney, I have assisted a number of, of lonely older people who have no one else but me to help them with their affairs, usually widows, because they had no children. I also have dealt with, dealt with hundreds if not thousands of young couples in their 30s and 40s who feel called to adopt a child. And I've got two observations to make. Because of my experience, I cannot stress enough that children are a gift from God. Frankly, the Bible says that God opens and closes the womb. And I believe, it's my belief, that God gives each couple a window in which he will offer that gift naturally. It might be a wide window that lasts for several years. It might be a very narrow window. It varies from couple to couple. Many of my clients have admitted that they waited, thinking that they could start having children when it was more convenient, only to find that they could not. Young couples, if it is God's plan for you to receive a gift now, are you really going to tell Him no later? Is any career, lifestyle, any freedom you might enjoy now worth missing God's window of opportunity? My second observation is this. Children are not an entitlement. We don't deserve them. Inevitably, in my conversations with couples about adoption, someone will ask if I have children. And just about all of them graciously marvel when I admit the size of my family. But I know what they must be thinking. And you don't know how much it pains me 
to see the longing look in their eyes. Because I had the same question. Why me? I am not worthy of this noisy herd of children and grandchildren when other godly couples have none. I don't understand it. I feel like the richest man on earth, but I know I am undeservedly blessed. Well, the bad news about common loneliness is that while it can be caused by things that we control, like bad hygiene or pride or you know arrogance or whatever, more often it results from causes which are beyond our control. Perhaps personality disorders because of abuse as a child, living on the wrong side of the tracks, just being a stranger, moving into a new community, community going to a new school, uh, maybe not wearing the clothes that the in-crowd wears, often just not knowing the right people, could be losing a loved one, a speech impediment, a physical disability, even skin color. But the good news? We'll get back to that later. Left untreated, common loneliness can fester into resentment, bitterness, and even hatred for others. Another musical group of my time named Simon and Garfunkel, did not leave the girls swooning. To put it mildly, they were not exactly men's men, um, and certainly not cute like the Beatles. They were clearly music nerds, but they were extremely talented. And they performed a song that some in the room will remember. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty, that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. Don't talk of love. Well, I've heard the word before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. But I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain. And an island never cries. Well, that's exactly what happened to Ebenezer Scrooge the character created by Charles Dickens to, frankly, revive the spirit of Christmas in England at his time and to demonstrate the power of the Spirit of God in the hearts of men in, I think, one of my favorite stories, The Christmas Carol. Now, we all know Scrooge as the old man whose name was synonymous with greed and miserliness. Uh, And in the story... When approached on the day before Christmas and asked to contribute to the fund for the poor, Scrooge responds, I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I pay taxes to support the poor houses. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. 
But, Mr. Scrooge, the gentleman protested, many cannot go there, and many would rather die. Well, if they would rather die, said Scrooge, they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Well, after this, Scrooge retreats to his large and cold and dark home for a Christmas Eve alone as usual. Not so usual are his visitors. Four spirits who come to warn him of what his view of life will bring. The first is the ghost of Jacob Marley, his deceased business partner. And Jacob came in and he drew a chain clasped about the middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail and was made, for Scrooge observed it closely, of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. These were the things that burdened Jacob Marley in the afterlife. The ghost of Marley asked, Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Later, another ghost of Christmas past takes Scrooge back to the cause of his bitterness toward life. Young and poor, Scrooge had been contracted to wed another poor young lady, Belle, whom he loved dearly. But over time, Scrooge lost his first love, and greed snuck into his character. Eventually, Belle recognized where his affections strayed, had strayed, and old Scrooge painfully observes Belle breaking off the relationship with young Scrooge. He cannot stand to relive the moment, but the Spirit forces him to watch an even more tortuous scene, that of Bell later in life. The noise in this room was perfectly tumultuous, for there were more children there than Scrooge in his agitated state of mind could count, and every child was conducting itself like forty. The consequences were uproarious beyond belief. But no one seemed to care. On the contrary, the mother and her daughter laughed heartily and enjoyed it very much. Then Belle's husband comes home with a Christmas presents and is assaulted by the horde of children in utter delight. And now Scrooge looked on more attentively than ever when the master of the house, having his daughter leaning fondly on him, sat down with her and her mother at his own fireside. And when Scrooge thought that such another creature, quite as graceful and as full of promise, might have called him father and been a springtime in the haggard winter of his life, his sight grew very dim indeed. Spirit, said Scrooge in a broken voice, remove me from this place. I cannot bear it. Scrooge was next visited by the ghost of Christmas present. And among other things, Scrooge was required to witness the home of Bob Cratchit, his clerk, who, despite his poverty, due to the pittance that Scrooge paid, 
was content with what God had given and enjoys a warm and close family, including tiny Tim. Tim had hoped that people saw him in the church because he was a cripple, and it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Then all the Cratchit family drew around the hearth, and Bob served a hot drink out with beaming looks while the chestnuts on the fire sputtered and crackled noisily. Then Bob proposed a toast. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us, which all the family re-echoed. God bless us, everyone, said Tiny Tim, the last of all. Tim sat very close to his father's side upon his little stool. Bob held his withered little hand in his. As if he loved the child and wished to keep him by his side, but dreaded that he might be taken from him. Spirit, said Scrooge, with an interest he had never felt before. Tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat, replied the ghost, in the poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no, said Scrooge. No, kind spirit, say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race, returned the ghost, will find him here. What then? If he be like to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population, said the ghost. Scrooge hung his head to hear his own words quoted by the Spirit and was overcome with penitence and grief. Scrooge has one last horrifying visitation from the ghost of Christmas future who requires Scrooge to witness several terrible visions including thieves selling a dead man's things in a most dishonoring fashion and Bob Cratchit's family mourning the loss of Tiny Tim. Then Scrooge learns that the man whose death no one mourned was he himself. Scrooge then begs for a chance to change his life. Christy does a great job of creating memories for our family. And Christmas yesterday started, as usual, with Christy and I walking around with candles from room to room singing, Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord as it has for many years. And after our usual brunch, however, we did something a little different before attacking the gifts. Johnny had suggested that instead of just talking about how Jesus Christ was born to save the lost, why don't we actually do something? So, we made up some hot chocolate, took some rolls and some tracks that the McFalls had given us, and we went out and looked for the homeless where they are usually found, on the neglected alleys and under the bridges. I cannot tell you how impactful it was to look on those faces and the gratefulness that we were blessed with 
from the lonely who have nothing, not even a roof. We returned with a very different attitude about our blessings. Now, as difficult and even devastating as common loneliness can be, it's nothing compared to the effects of the other type of loneliness. And the bad news is that you can acquire this second type of loneliness even if you don't suffer from common loneliness. If you have all the friends in the world, maybe a close and loving family, you can acquire it if you're rich or poor, famous or unknown, live a virtuous or a self-centered life, go to church or sleep in. Finally, this type of loneliness is to be avoided at all costs because of its severity and duration. The second type of loneliness is so severe that it makes common loneliness look like an oasis in the desert. The good news is that this type of loneliness is totally avoidable because it is caused by our own decisions. And the second type of loneliness is eternal loneliness better known as separation from God, what the Bible calls hell. In Psalm, or Isaiah 59, the prophet says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, you may be lonely today, or your world may be completely satisfying. You may be a visitor today for the first time in church, or you may have been going to church for years. But if you've never wrestled with the question of this second kind of loneliness, I've got some questions for you that I'd like you to consider and answer at least to yourself. The first one is this. Do you have any kind of spiritual belief? Now, if not, you can continue to believe, as some people do, that this is all there is, that which is physical. But if you do, why would you celebrate Christmas? What is love? What purpose is there to your existence? Second question. To you, who is Jesus Christ? Was he this real or imagined baby that, whose birthday we celebrate on Christmas? Period. Was he a very good man? Or was he the Savior of the world as the Bible claims? Third question. Do you believe in heaven or hell? In other words, is there an existence when we're gone? If so, do our decisions make any difference in where we spend eternity? And the fourth question if you died today, where would you go?
Now, if you believe that you would go to heaven, and your reason for that belief is all the good things that you've done, do you know that you've done enough? Or if you're one of those who believes there's no way you could go to heaven because of what you've done, are you sure? Answers to questions such as these depend on one's underlying beliefs, our presuppositions. Questions of life's purpose and the afterlife, even the question of whether there is one, are not easily answered by objective measures, by what we see. In short, all of us, every single person in the world, has faith in something. Some ultimate authority. An authority that answers such questions. That authority is in essence, in a very real sense, your God. Therefore, if you're one that does not believe that there could be a loving God who offers eternal life in heaven, you are, in essence, your own God. Because you have made that judgment as your own ultimate authority. Perhaps you've never thought about it or even cared. I guess I would say that by default, if not intentionally, you have still made a judgment about ultimate questions and therefore are your own God. Final question. If what you believe about all these other questions is not true, would you want to know? There's a handout with some verses on it. I'm not going to read those. I urge you to do that. But it says basically this, that all people, you and I, have sinned. And because of that sin, we are not worthy to be in the presence of a perfectly righteous God. In short, we all deserve to go to hell. But God provides an escape to heaven. We can't earn it. We can't do good works. We, we don't even give, get it by being here in church. Instead, it is a free gift, but there's a catch. As all your parents would tell you, all gifts have to be paid for by someone. God so loved you and me that He gave not money, not effort. He gave His only Son, Jesus Christ, to descend to earth, to live a perfect life, and to die a cruel death on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And then, He rose from the grave in triumph over that death. Now, the world says there are many roads to heaven. 
But Jesus Christ said, He is the only way. No one comes to the Father but by Him. How do you receive that that gift? Simply by admitting that I am a sinner, that Christ died for my sins and was raised from the dead. That's it. That's all that's necessary for you to know you will spend eternity with Him. If you have questions or want to know more about receiving this free gift, I urge you to ask to talk to one of the leaders here today. I want to return to the good news related to common loneliness. As long as you don't live on an island by yourself, this disease is completely curable. And if your goal is to avoid both common and eternal loneliness, you don't need a group of perfect people to tell you what to do. Rather, you need people who look at you as God looks at you and who are willing to help you grow and find God's purpose for your life. Even Scrooge got the message. He changed his life. He rediscovered love, not just by opening himself up to others, but he gave of himself and his temporal possessions to others out of genuine love. He received by giving. He became a second father to Tiny Tim, who lived because of his assistance. And he went to church. And it was said of Ebenezer Scrooge that he kept Christmas better than any other man in the land. You see, God is a God of second chances. And He loves a humble and contrite heart. And if you suffer from common loneliness, I suggest that you find a church in your community that not only teaches but practices the principles of the Bible. Where you can get to know people who care about you and the lost who are outside the church. The Bible says that Christians are not to forsake assembling together. Please, don't try to do this alone. You need all the support you can get. But please remember that churches are filled with sinners like me. There are no perfect churches. But a body of loving believers is the best place to shed common loneliness and find God's purpose for your life. I want to end with a a true story that I I happen to know about. Uh, About a teenage girl, maybe 15, and she was lonely. Not lonely in typical sense. She didn't have acne or anything like that. She had a problem. Um, She had a guy with whom she wanted to remain faithful until they could marry. But she was pregnant. She lived in a small rural community 
with some pretty conservative values, and if you're from western Kansas, you kind of know what that's like. But it gets worse. Her guy was not the father. And it was never her intention, but it happened. And he didn't know. In fact, nobody knew. You you can see why she was so lonely. So she went to someone she trusted. And you can imagine the advice that she would get. You poor dear, you have been isolated and this is not even your fault. You face certain condemnation from the moralistic bigots in your community and your own family. If this comes out, your relationship with your guy is done. Honey, besides all that, you are much too young to raise a child. But thankfully, your problem is easily resolved. You can go home and nobody will ever know. You can continue your relationship as if this never happened. You're such a dear, sweet young lady and you deserve much better. You don't have to be lonely anymore. Well, thankfully, she didn't get that advice. Instead, the trusted woman to whom she went had the discernment to recognize God's purpose for her loneliness. Upon listening to her confidant, this young girl named Mary, who birthed the Savior of the world, said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. God makes a home for the lonely. If you haven't yet, won't you please come in? Father in heaven, we give praise to you. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that you have given us all for the the gifts, for the enjoyment of family. At the same time, we recognize that there are many who don't enjoy those blessings, who need a family. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to that family. But infinitely more important than that, Lord, I pray that you would allow the believers here at Lion and Lamb and in other churches to be a light, to help those who don't know where they're headed understand the gravity of the situation. Lord, I pray that they would understand that you loved us so much you were willing to allow your son to suffer tortuous death to pay for our sins when he did not transgress at all. And thank you, Lord, for raising him from the dead and allowing him to sit at your side now to intercede on our behalf. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here who is unsure of his position with you, 
or hers, that you would give them the boldness and that you would give those who listen the love and sensitivity to help them understand. We give you all praise and all glory. We simply want to honor you today. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.